In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. No matter how old you get, there are several conversations that occur from time to time between two people who live together. It might be a parent speaking to their child or children. It could be a husband and wife conversation. I know I had to have it occasionally with roommates at my house in Waco, and usually this is brought up as a reminder. Sometimes it is more like a command, and every now and again it is a threat with a menacing scowl accompanying these words. Don't you dare track mud into my house. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. It could be children coming in from a football or baseball or soccer game with mud on their cleats or clinging to their uniform. It could be something as innocent as taking the dog for a walk, only to be greeted by Noah's Flood Part 2. And before you can get out of the rain, the reminder comes from across the house to wipe not only your feet, but your four-legged friends as well. Gardening and yard work, even farming and ranching, usually involve some amount of dirt. And sometimes it comes home with us, leaving tracks in the house. My mother, when she built part of the house where I live now, laid the main entryway and common areas in tile, simply so that if you quickly ran into the house to grab something, you didn't have to worry about ruining a rug or damaging the hardwood floors or getting mud into the carpet. And her reasoning was sound. You can just get a broom and sweep it out. Yet, still, I hear her complain about mud and dirt in the house from time to time. Well, anyways, today in our gospel passage from Mark, Jesus is being questioned about the actions of both he and his disciples. And these are questions regarding the Jewish purity laws. Many of these laws date back to the Mosaic Covenant and were in place for two main reasons. The first was to set the Hebrew people, the Israelites, apart from everyone else. Having a rather specific ritual or method of doing things that is different from all the other tribes or countries in that region would set you apart. And if Israel was going to be a nation set apart or consecrated for God's purposes, this and many other things such as taking a Sabbath, circumcision, believing in one God, proclaiming jubilee years, this was one way. And second, there is the health concerns, the practical things that we do each time we wash dishes or load them into the dishwasher to ensure that they are indeed clean. Now, before we go much further, we need to all come to an understanding about what Jesus is saying and also about what he is not saying. And since it is probably easiest to start with the things that Jesus is not saying, let's start there. Jesus is not saying that cleaning plates and cups and washing the dishes and, of course, washing your hands are not important. They are important, crucially important. It would be an example of 
lackluster hospitality if you served your guests on a plate with melted cheese from two meals ago still sticking to it. It would be of concern then, as well as now, if the cook had dirt under their fingers, much less dipped their fingers into the stew without cleaning them first, and then, of course, wiping and washing them afterwards. This is not the concern of our Lord. But it is this concern of the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who help keep the moral law and the religious law in check see these actions and wonder why they are breaking the social customs and rules of the day, perhaps even the law itself. It could be that the fishermen among the disciples were used to eating on the run without washing. Perhaps Matthew, the tax collector, was used to a servant helping him wash his hands. Whatever the reason, the disciples are breaking social custom. It's almost like eating their dinner with their salad fork. And these things just aren't done because they're not right. Jesus brings the point to a head and asks, like we would, what is the point? Indeed, what is the point? The scribes and the Pharisees can point to the law and say, it is commanded. <clears throat> Jesus can point to the essence and say that the concern about what enters the body, something unclean, either ritually or unclean to eat, like pork, is not as concerning as that which comes out of the body, which comes out of us. And the troubling thing is, they are both right. I want clean hands to eat with. I want a cook to have clean hands and pots when he cooks. But Jesus is not talking about the absolute nature of the law, but the essence of the law, the portion of the law that matters. Eating with clean pots and pans and hands is just as important as eating with clean hearts. The law is there to set the people apart from everyone else. But a fastidious adherence to the law has led Jesus' detractors away from the spirit of the law. The point of doing all the ritual cleaning was to help you, the person going through the ritual, to be reminded of what the ultimate purpose was or is, to be holy before God. We see this all the time, and I won't mention any names for well, many obvious reasons, but we see this acted out, sometimes particularly in the limelight with high-profile celebrities. And it works like this. An actor or a musician, or it could even be just a friend that we know, has come to faith in some way. And they express a very real and a very true conversion. And depending on who they are, they might release an album or maybe make a movie. Perhaps they invite you to their baptism. And then 
the growth stops. They have done that thing, that acceptance that is necessary. And there, everything is all right with God and Jesus and, and them. But they continue to use drugs and sing about it. Or they give an interview with some magazine and they talk about their conversion. And then just a few minutes later, they launch into a profanity-laced tirade about some producer or some rival. They may have done everything that is necessary, but they haven't lived into the covenant. It is what comes out of the body that defiles you. It is what comes out of our own actions that is sin. It's the hatred expressed, the lying, the slander of someone, the greed, the acting out on lust, the unwillingness to conform to the ways of Christ that defile us. We can keep our Sunday obligation and come here to the Eucharist. We can volunteer at the food pantry. We can attend Bible study and do all the right things that we are to do, the rituals of our faith. But if the power of the Holy Spirit, the transforming work of Christ, the desire to follow and obey his call is not there, is not part of who we are, then we, even though grace abounds, are still living in defilement. Let me give you an example with an imaginary person. We'll call him Jim. Jim wakes up in the morning and says his morning prayers. He then goes to make breakfast for his wife and kids. He realizes that there's no bacon. And once she wakes up, Kathy, that is his wife, gets an earful about how stupid she is because she forgot the bacon. He storms out, drives to work, and turns on Caleb or some other Christian radio station. He's driving and singing, and when all of a sudden, some 16-year-old student driver drifts into his lane. Jim honks, weaves his car around, and as he drives by, he gives an obscene gesture with his hand to the student. He finally arrives at his office, tells his secretary how wonderful prayer meeting was last night, and immediately sets to work, where he overcharges someone for the services his company provided. Later in the day, he mentions to the bank officer that while he may be two or three days late with his loan payment, not to worry. He's never failed them. About the time he hangs up on the phone, one of his contractors comes in and asks if he can be paid for the last 10 days of work that he has done because he and his wife are taking their daughter to the hospital to see if they can diagnose why she's having seizures. And he doesn't have enough money for the copay. Jim calls him a lazy section who and tells him how ungrateful he is and says that he can just wait until next Friday when the typical two-week pay cycle ends, like everyone else, to get the money owed him so far. After work, 
Jim returns home and berates his oldest son for missing a pass at the football game and hints that unless his athletic ability gets better, he probably won't be going to college because Jim sure isn't going to pay for it. They then sit down to dinner and Jim, Jim gives great thanks to God for everything he has, not anyone else because that doesn't matter, and then demands that he has first go at the potato salad. He goes to bed, leaving his wife in tears, a teenage driver stressed out, his employee pawning off his things he might need, and his son contemplating suicide because he can't live up to his father's expectations. But don't you worry. Jim's a good Christian man. He's on the vestry, and he does crucio, and he always bails the church out when a financial need arises. Do you see what Jesus is saying? I hope you do. The transformation occurs here in the heart. It's not about the worldly appearance. It's not even about the ritual. It's about doing what we do because of whom we love. Here is something we can learn that comes to us from the Benedictine monasteries. In the monasteries, each monk takes his turn at several of the chores for about a week. This week, they may be one of the cooks. Next week, one of the dishwashers. Today, they may be in charge of answering the telephone and email, and tomorrow, it might be their time to weed the garden. Each week during the evening meal, one of the monks is the reader. While everyone else eats in silence, this one monk sits and reads aloud a portion of a book. And it's not even always the Bible. It might be a science book or a novel. I've even heard tell of monks listening to the reader read about fly fishing and the different types of rods and reels. But the main thing is they do all of it out of love. They do it to be part of the community. And they do it because it is their duty which they relish in. It is often said in these monastic societies that you can't truly love someone until you wash and clean up after them. And so they wash with all diligent care, scrubbing, getting their hands dirty and wet, plunging them into hot water. Why? Out of love for their brothers or sisters in their community. It isn't the washing that's the problem. It's our living into what the washing means that brings us up short. Go home. Wash your dishes, especially if you didn't cook. And do it by hand. No dishwashers allowed. 
and learn to love your family and friends. Learn to love your neighbor. And learn to love God in that simple act of service. Pray for those who just ate on that plate. Pray for the next person who uses this spoon. If we are going to clean pots and pans, let us clean our hearts while we do it.